Venerable Master, Dharma friends, welcome to our sutra lecture. And I'm going to ask our sound tech to take the tech off, 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 because it makes me sound like a god coming down from on high. Not that that's not helpful sometimes if you want to make a point, but there we go. Ah, yes, somebody hit that button. I don't know who that was. We're trying to make our sound system um, idiot-proof, if you get my point. Um, too many people all are their own. Every group has their own audio expert, and they freely move our sliders. So. Yeah, good. Let's begin our lecture tonight. This is, by the way, uh, November four, uh, November third, and we're here uh, in Berkeley, California, to look into the Flower Adornment Sutra. There are seats up front. I hope people will not be shy, but will jump right in. This is the Ten Grounds chapter of the Avatamsaka Sutra. We're on the, the very, very end of the third ground. And if you will please turn to the front of your sutra text, right here we will recite the name of the sutra and the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas. And this is a traditional way to, to invoke spiritual presence before we uh, begin, our, begin our lecture. Here we go. Namo Turn in your text to page 72 and 73. That's the very last page. I have already gone ahead and turned off my cell phone. So I won't be embarrassed when it goes ring right in the middle of a dramatic point the understanding of which may have, upon which may have hinged your enlightenment from lifetimes of suffering and dukkha. And because I got a robocall from, yes, on Prop 37, your enlightenment was delayed. 
or my enlightenment was prevented. Who knows? But in any case, if it helps you vote yes on Prop 37, it might have been worth it. But we won't go there tonight. Never mind. So um, the second stanza, second paragraph on page 30, on 72, it's zhu zi duo zuo. We'll start right there, and we'll go through the Chinese first, and we'll do it chanting style, because this is the repetitive verses, and the uh, undoubtedly they were put to a chanting melody when they were originally uh, committed to text by the, the, the early scribes. So we're going to try to recreate that uh, that state and let's do the first four lines that way and then we'll recite the English together in unison. Okay, here we go. I'll give you a line and you give it back. Let's recite the, uh, over on page 73, the English together. Here we go. Dwelling here, most become Trya Strimsha rulers, acting as guiding teachers to limitless hosts of gods, causing them to forsake greed and dwell in wholesome ways, singly intent upon the search for Buddha's virtues. For those um, who haven't joined one of these lectures for a while, or if, you're, if you've never been part of an Avatamsaka Sutra lecture assembly, we're going through one of the major texts of the Mahayana, the northern tradition that came originally from India and then was transmitted to China and then on to Korea and to Vietnam and then on to Japan. and. The Tibetan tradition, as I'm told, also uh, pays a lot of attention to this sutra. And it talks about the, the bodhisattva. That's what the Avatamsaka is largely about, is the career of the bodhisattva, the awakened being, who is uh, in this northern tradition. He's the, you might say, the saint of the Mahayana. He's certainly the hero of the Mahayana tradition, of the northern tradition. And the, uh, the sutra lays out the bodhisattva, both his external behavior and his internal motivation. One of the joys of this text is that it takes us right into the bodhisattva's mind and it says, here the bodhisattva thinks and, and you get this little window into the bodhisattva's psyche, uh, his values, the priorities and the things that he, he or she wants to avoid as well. Uh, so it's a very psychologically oriented uh, inventory of how a bodhisattva actually thinks and behaves. 
Further, um, in this text, this is the one chapter out of the longer, larger Avatamsaka. The, the whole text, there were three translations of, this, of the text in history. This is the second one. It's the largest. It's known by its Chinese designation as the 80 scroll Avatamsaka, translated out of Sanskrit in the Tang Dynasty in uh, 831, I believe, of the, of the Common Era. We are in chapter 21 out of 40 chapters. So it's more, um, I said wrong, 26, chapter 26. And so we're more than halfway through. And this chapter is called The Ten Grounds, The Ten Stages, sometimes. Dashabhumi, it's called. And these are ten stages of a bodhisattva's progress from uh, someone who is committed to awakening, somebody who is living an internal, interiorized spiritual life, somebody who uh, the, the inner motivations of behavior are much more interesting to this person than external accumulation of wealth or possessions. For example, that would, that would put somebody on the path towards these stages of, of awakening. Um, so of those 10 stages, we've come to number three. The Bodhisattva, to get to the first stage, the first ground, is already um, advanced in his understanding of the Bodhisattva path. First of all, this is a good meditator. This person is a, 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 a virtuous individual, someone who has a real sense of right and wrong, someone who behaves according to a standard. It's not whatever dude for the bodhisattva. It's, mm, this is, I, my conscience tweaks me every time I tell a lie, so I don't lie. My conscience pings me every time I have a thought of stealing, so I don't steal. Further, even if I think hateful thoughts towards somebody, my conscience rings an alarm and says, you know, if you carried that further, you'd probably, you could even kill that person. And that would be harming yourself. So, who's a bodhisattva? Well, you won't know. The bodhisattva won't tell you who, the bod- who he or she is. And mind you, this text is gender non-specific. The bodhisattva could very easily be in a female body, could be in a male body, even to the point where bodhisattvas can appear as species other than human. Bodhisattvas can appear in the bodies of gods. They can appear as ghosts. They can appear potentially as animals. Some of the sutras of the Mahayana say that a bodhisattva can manifest as a landscape. The Urstor Sutra talks about the bodhisattva appearing as a spectacular mountain valley or just a beautiful waving field of wheat, something that brings you stillness and purity. So, this is kind of worth zeroing in on who this bodhisattva might be. So, good-hearted, listening to their conscience, morally consistent and committed to a standard of behavior, and from that inner goodness and concentration comes the ability to concentrate, to focus. This bodhisattva, when I said is a good meditator, not always sitting there with legs crossed, 
But in any situation, they say walking, standing, sitting, lying down, this bodhisattva is focused, able to bring eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and most important, the mind, to a place of concentration so that thoughts that before would lead you towards, oh, I love that, oh, I hate that, now can find the principle in every situation. Not that they become wooden or, or unfeeling. It's simply that the former desires and self that used to motivate the person now are available to them, but not as important as service, not as important as helping, not as important as tuning into other situations to say the right thing, to do the right thing, to model the right behavior that helps that person make the choice towards wisdom and compassion. That's what's different about the Bodhisattva. So um, I remember when I was first drawing near the monastery and I very much wanted to have the identity of a good Buddhist and then later on as a good Buddhist monk. And so how did a good Buddhist look? Well, I wanted to look that way, right? And I would walk by a, you know, walk by a plate glass window on 15th Street in San Francisco and I would put on my bodhisattva face, you know, <laughs> you know and, and look very still and very concentrated, you know. And, and I'm sure the people looking at me are saying, what's wrong with that guy, you know, my, uptight, huh? Yeah, yeah. So the, the bodhisattva is able to focus. Why? Because his heart, because her heart is kind. Because bit by bit, thought by thought, choice by choice, the, the option of killing, stealing, lusting, lying, or entering a state of intoxication were replaced thought by thought over hard, with hard work, with thoughts of kindness and bestowing life, generosity, trueness to vows, integrity, veracity, and sobriety and clarity. So that's thought by thought, step by step. The Bodhisattva worked hard on what is our jargon term for it is called the mind ground, shindi, which is it's a garden analogy. The sutra, the Bodhisattva path, talks a lot about the mind. And why? Because that's where the action takes place that leads someone who wants to be like a bodhisattva towards wisdom and compassion and away from ignorance and selfishness. It's in the thoughts that rise like sprouts from the mind ground and can become briars and thorns and thistles or beautiful flowers and fruits, depending on how the bodhisattva weeds that mind ground, how he or she composts the sprouts that lead towards thistles and weeds and the ones that lead towards flowers and fruits that we might want. Now, there is judgment involved. Some people say, well, that's really judgmental, man. Aren't you supposed to be everything's cool? Well, yeah, everything's cool as long as behind that coolness is the principle of ahimsa, harmlessness, the principle of generosity and benefiting, benefit to others. That's, then it's cool. Killing does not honor 
ahimsa, harmlessness or selflessness. The Bodhisattva says, yeah, that's a weed, plucks it, composts it, tending the mind ground. So, bit by bit, my, my point, and mind you, I haven't even touched the verse yet, but I, I'm giving this overview of the Bodhisattva to say that, on one hand, you can say these are spiritual giants. These are some beings that, did Guanyin Bodhisattva ever exist in time? Did Guanyin Bodhisattva have a mother? Or, you know, go to school? Did Guanyin Bodhisattva have a cubby in first grade? Well, I'll, I won't know the answer to that, and that's an interesting question. Much more important to say that the bodhisattvas here depicted, of which Guanyin is one, certainly got this way by following this path, step by step, thought by thought, word by word, action by action. It's no accident that Guanyin Bodhisattva becomes greatly compassionate bodhisattva. It's no accident that these third ground bodhisattvas get there to that state. It's hard, diligent, mindful work in every weedy thought that gets composted and turned to fertilizer for the wholesome flower. So that's the point. And one of the more satisfying uh, aspects of this sutra is it's so clear. It's so pragmatic, step-by-step, hands-on, manual, handbook for how to walk the bodhisattva path. I was we're delighted that, that Venerable Bhante Bhikkhubodhi is with us these weeks. and He and I had a conversation earlier about um, growing up in America and the religious options that we had. I grew up Methodist, and Methodism uh, creates very kind-hearted people. The, the Methodists that I knew, uh, my parents included, uh, there were very many different kinds, certainly. There's just as many kinds of Buddhists there, that many kinds of Methodists. But by and large, the, the best part of the faith produces people who, who care, people with a social conscience, people with a sense of, of the politic, of the community, and a sense of engagement and necessity to act when you see suffering. That's, that impressed me deeply. But my gripe with Methodism, and this is what we were talking about with, with Bhante, was that it was hard to find a path. If there's anything missing from Methodism that I would love to give to it, it's the concept of Tao, the idea of there being a road to walk, a path to walk, choices to make that lead you here and choices to make that lead you there. And we were mostly exhorted to be good Christians, to lead a Christ-like life. And, I mean, what could be better? But it was really clear at the time, growing up in the 60s, that if I led a Christ-like life, I would be called a bearded hippie and I'd be thrown in jail. You know, I would have been labeled a nonconformist tree hugger because Jesus, our accounts of Jesus, had him that way, you know. And at the time, that's what hippies did. So you couldn't really lead a Christ-like life. You could do it in theory somehow. So... What I find here in the Avatamsaka instead is this clarity and specific directions for choices you make in this situation. The Bodhisattva does them and goes this way. And you think, that's helpful. That's really helpful. And at times the sutra just kind of pops up as a a how-to manual, not what we would say a spiritual classic 
not a sacred scripture. It's more like, boy, when times get hard, be careful because this mistake will lead you there. And when times get hard, take this choice and things work out. It's much more hands-on than it is mystical or mysterious or somehow removed from humanity. All right, so enough of the introduction. Can we turn right now to that verse that we, the verse that we just looked at? My voice cut out. Still got two bars, so I should be all right. 主此多作道立王,化道无量,诸天众,令舍贪心,住善道,一向转秋佛公的。Let's look at it word by word and get a sense of the choices that we had in translating. 主此多作道立王。First thing to notice is, this is the last three stanzas before the chapter is over. We're in the um, summary we're in a, a refrain section. That is to say, each of the grounds has a kind of pattern, pattern text, boilerplate text that repeats ground after ground. It's part of the visible structure of the chapter. And each ground ups the ante. As the Bodhisattva, there's a linear progression from the first ground through to the tenth. This is now the third and the things that are being discussed in these three paragraphs are the ante being upped. The bar is raised as the bodhisattva progresses. What would it be like? Um, what kind of math is suitable for third grade? Do you get to your times tables in the third grade? Anybody know? Alice, do, do children, two times two is four? Second grade is times table. Division, long division is second grade. Even kindergarten. Montessori, this is Berkeley, right? So, my goodness, these math-savvy kindergartners. How frightening. Wow. Well, we could use it in this country. I'm told that we are falling behind in math. Good. Send your kids to Montessori. Talk to Alice after the lecture. She'll get you. <laughs> Sign you right up. So, okay, when you get to sixth grade, ooh, it's another story, right? Sixth grade, kids, I'm sure they're probably heading towards calculus. Well, I, when I got to, Alice doesn't teach sixth grade, so I won't ask her. So, no, so, so when I got to high school, I got to geometry and stopped. I got a C in geometry. I didn't like my geometry teacher. I remember him well, and uh, I, I wish him <clears throat> well. He was not a kind-hearted man. He did not like me at all, and so it was mutual. I never got past geometry. I did algebra and geometry. That was the end of my mathematical career. So the point is, each level of elementary, middle school, high school, onto college has its appropriate mathematics, right? Math is available knowledge. You can learn math in Tel Aviv. You can learn math in Shanghai. You can learn math in Youngstown, Ohio. And it's the same math. It's available knowledge. How hard you work, uh, how effective your teachers are and interesting you, determines how quickly you go. Likewise, the Bodhisattva progresses through the various stages of Knowledge, ability, wisdom. 
A tenth stage bodhisattva is very different than a first stage, first ground bodhisattva. What is a third stage, third ground bodhisattva like? When he stays here, dwelling is not a good translation. We don't dwell, we stay, we live. Dwelling here, the bodhisattva dozo. Zo here is the verb, and it means to, to do, to serve as, to act as. It can mean to make, to be in a way. But here, the bodhisattva dozo, do for the most part. Stopping here, this one, do it most, on most occasions, mostly, for the most part, zuo, acts as, lives as, serves as, dao li, wang. Dao li is sound language. This is transliteration. The Chinese cannot say triastrimsha, which is the Sanskrit, tabatimsa in Pali, right? They couldn't, they didn't have those syllables, so they did dao li. The Chinese is very terse, very uh, effective at getting the, the consonants. So dao li, triastrimsha, wang, king. Staying here mostly acts as triastrimsha, king. Okay, what's going on? It says, this is the boilerplate. At the third stage, the bodhisattva has a body, has a reincarnation, has an appearance. What is the appearance? A, a celestial king, a deva raja, a king of the heavens, king in the, a king of the gods. How about that? So if you are not a Buddha, not a human, but you're a third stage bodhisattva, what body do you get as a result? A scholar of the Buddha Dharma would say, well, that depends on my blessings, largely, and my affinities. Well, a third stage bodhisattva has mostly has the blessings of coming back as a god, a god of the second of the desire heavens, of which there are six, and a king in the heavenly realm. How interesting, right? You, if you're a third stage bodhisattva, mostly you get a god's body in the triastrimsha heaven, and you're a ruler there. Interesting. Okay. Further, hua dao wu liang zhu tian zhong, hua to transform. That's our teacher's second name, Master Shen Hua, our our founder. His second character is Hua. Here it means to change, to, to, to affect a change. Hua Xue is the name of chemistry. This, the learning of Hua, of transformations, how elements, how materials change and change. So to transform Dao, to lead, to guide, to show. So Transforming and showing, guiding, wu liang, no measure, beyond measure, zhu, multiple, plural, tian, devas, gods, zhong, gathering, assemblies, multitudes. Transforming and guiding, 
multitudes of gods beyond measuring. Okay? Transforming and teaching immeasurable numbers of devas, in other words. So, when he stays here, the bodhisattva, for the most part, is a king of the triastremsha heaven, gods, where he, she, he, probably, God guides and changes, teaches countless numbers of gods. So, you have a sense of what the god would do there. He is a teacher. He's a speaker of Dharma. What does he do? Third line. Here we go. Ling she tan xin zhu shan dao. Zhu shan dao. Ling. This is a cause word. To make. To, to, it's tempting to say to, to force. It's not. It's, it's causative. He effects. He's able to effect this. To make this happen. What is it? She. There's the verb. To let go of. To, to he can make it so that they should. This is renunciation. So a renunciate. Do people know what are called the si wuliangxin, the four limitless attitudes? Si bei xi she. Kindness, compassion, joy sometimes, even minded joy, and she. Translated alternately as renunciation or serenity sometimes. A sense of even-mindedness. Sure. It's all okay. That's the sure. Opeka. Right? Um, so he makes it so that they sure let go of, renounce, tan xin thoughts of greed. Greedy attitudes. Zhu and stay, rest in shan, wholesome, dao, path. All right? So, the bodhisattva here, for the most part, is a god of the triastremsha heaven, where he teaches and transforms, guides multitudes of gods beyond measure, so that they can let go of thoughts of greed and rest in wholesome paths or wholesome behavior. Okay, what is, what is what's that talking about? Well, greed, we know. If, that's a, if you're looking at the mind ground and up comes a sprout of greed, the bodhisattva will encourage people to say, yeah, that would be good, but what if you let that go and just was content with the older model, what then? Well, I probably wouldn't have to remortgage my house. Wouldn't have to finance. Wouldn't have to go out and sell on eBay to get the cash to buy the new one. Yeah, save a lot of trouble. You could spend your time with your wife and kids, with your family, with your husband. That's a good idea. Thank you for reminding me that it's not, the happiness is not in always getting the new one. So that's the way he explains things so that beings let go of thoughts of greed. It's not easy, right? Because we're encouraged by the marketplace, by and large, to follow thoughts of greed. Greed is good in our world of uh, endless expansion, endless progress, endless development. So, further, he also encourages them to, he ling, 
He makes it so that they can zhu shan dao. Three words which means stay in wholesome paths. I think this is probably talking specifically about what are called the ten wholesome deeds. The ten good deeds. Our, our teacher used to always um, give us the formula that if you want to be born as a god, you want to get to the heavens, what do you do? You uphold the five precepts and embody the ten good deeds. That's the combination. Five precepts, ten good deeds. What does that mean? The five precepts we know, I've already identified them tonight, is restraining thoughts of killing, restraining thoughts of stealing, or actions of stealing, restraining sexual misconduct, restraining the impulse to lie, and restraining and refraining, catching the thought that wants to drug the mind, to intoxicate the mind, and instead moving towards clarity, sobriety. So, five precepts are those restraints, right? Stay in a positive way, nurture life, be generous, be true to your vows, tell the truth, keep your mind clear. Positive statements are those five precepts. So, those are the five good deeds. What are the, the five precepts? What are the ten good deeds that lead you to rebirth in the heavens? All right? Well, they always divide into body, mouth, and mind. Ten total. Three, four, three. Three good deeds of the body come largely from avoiding the three evil deeds of the body. Good and evil, those key words are in there, and Buddha Dharma does identify certain acts as good acts, certain acts as evil. Evil is not a biblical concept cooked up to scare you into being good. The Buddha described the, the, the choice between good and evil as part of every thought. Right? And this, it's so obvious that we have both of these potentials in our mind. So, ten good deeds result from not doing ten evil deeds. Right? Restraining the evil creates the good. Three with the body, not killing, not stealing, and not indulging in sexual misconduct. Repeated from five precepts. Fundamental ethical guidelines. Found in the Ten Commandments. Found in the Holy Quran. Found in Patanjali's yoga aphorisms. Found in the Hebrew Scriptures. Right? Right there. Moses brought them down from Mount Sinai. Thou shalt not. So, something's going on there. That all of the major ethical, religious institutions base themselves on the same observation of human conduct. Right? That's interesting. Right? So, here we have Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, and Buddhism all agreeing. Saying, when you Look at humanity. If you can avoid killing, stealing, and lust, you're ahead. Okay, we only have three out of ten. Those are the three with the body. What about the four with the mouth? 
This is very interesting. And notice how specific. The Buddha said, if we can avoid the four evil deeds that we do with the mouth, four harmful ways of speaking, immediately we're upholding the four good deeds. Right here, do zo, zhu shan dao, right? Dwelling in the wholesome path. What is it? With the mouth, it is not telling lies. Instead, telling the truth. Not gossiping is number two. The name in Chinese was liang she, double tongue. Think of a snake with forked tongue, right? You, what does it mean? It means backbiting. You go to Susan and complain about Clarice. And you go to Clarice and you complain about Susan. And Clarice and Susan don't talk to each other because you broke them up. Double-tongued speech. Backbiting speech. Going behind, carrying tales behind people's backs. Or simply gossip. Right? That's, from the Buddhist point of view, an evil deed. Things we do with our speech incorrectly, harmfully. So to avoid that, good deed. Three, harsh speech. And boy, oh boy, what a burden taken off your back when you make a resolve not to use four-letter words and how countercultural you become, right? Um, the F word, the F bomb, has worked its way into TV. And network TV, you have to, it'll, it'll get bleeped. But cable, it's not, not so much, right? And you can hear it in your living room. Growing up, the F-bomb did not occur in my parents' vocabulary, right? The older generation, the greater gen- greatest generation, didn't use that in polite company. If you did, it sent ripples out. You had to go wash your mouth out with soap, right? Did your mother ever wash your mouth out with soap? My mother did. Not only once. <laughs> Now, David, did you grow up with washing your mouth out with soap? Is that something you're, that your mother's? Chile. With chile? chile? Chile pepper. Ah, that would be worse. probably. So, yeah. Um, it was, four-letter words. Is that, yes? Wash, wash your mouth out with soap, Venerable? Was that? That was not right. Yeah, never use that. right. Good. So... Common. Turn on hip hop and you'll find a choice of, of four letter words. And I'm, I was never easy with that. Um, I'm old enough, I guess, that I didn't hear it enough to get numb to it. Historically, um, film historians pretty much point to the movie called Slapshot, starring Paul Newman as a hockey player as when the bar was lowered. It was a documentary, uh, docudrama about hockey players. And hockey players in particular have a foul-mouthed bunch, apparently. So uh, the camera took us out onto the ice, and Paul Newman was there using four-letter words. And Hollywood is such that once the bar is dropped, it's really hard to pick it back up. So that, at that point, it got to be okay to use these four-letter words. Here's the Buddha saying harsh speech. That's called harsh speech. And it hurts the speaker. It numbs your wholesome 
mind, your good mind, your good heart, when you use harsh speech. And now, was the Buddha talking about profanity, harsh four-letter words? Yes, he was probably also talking about scolding people. And, and the, if you look into the, the second ground that we just went through, there's the most, um, uh, the most thorough description of what harsh speech can be. It talks about the ten goods and the ten evil deeds, and it says how the bodhisattva would not speak. And there's a list of 17 kinds of harsh speech, and it's really uh, descriptive. And it says, for example, speech that burns the heart like fire. That when you hear it, your heart goes on fire. That's an example of words the bodhisattva doesn't speak. And then it goes on to describe how the bodhisattva speaks alternately, instead of words that burn the heart like fire. And it says the bodhisattva speaks words that are delightful to hear. They pick the heart up. So it goes on to describe those. So the Buddha said, yes, harsh speech, which is either profanity or simply uh, cutting, scolding speech, is called evil an evil deed. To speech speak in a way that blesses people is a good deed. That's that's our number, killing, stealing, lust, lies, double-tongued, duplicitous, gossip speech, harsh speech. The fourth one is so interesting because, again, we have let our tongues go to where we don't hear this anymore. It's called frivolous speech. Frivolous speech, as is described, is two kinds. One kind is prattle. Just blah, 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 blah. Chinese say tambuting, hua xiaozi, becoming a chatterbox, never stopping, just so that you just say, oh, please, please be quiet. Give me some silence. Right? Maybe you have, maybe your little sister is that way. Maybe it's your, your, your grandpa, you know, people who just talk, 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 talk. You just can't get them to stop talking. And that's, if it's, if it's done with an intention or mindlessly, an intention to, to harm, the Buddha said that is uh, frivolous speech. But there's another kind of frivolous speech that is the one that I, I meant when I said we've numbed ourselves to it, and it's off-color speech. Frivolous speech that is meant to lead the mind towards a kind of a uh, growing up, we called it dirty speech, right? Potty mouth. Um, comedians who insult. Don Rickles comes to mind. Is Don Rickles still out there? Is he too old? He's my generation. Don Rickles was one of the first insult comedians, right? His, his whole, the whole humor of Don Rickles was to belittle people. And when you, he would come out and he would just start his this flow of invective and you laughed because it hurt (laughs) like that. And after a while you got numb to the, the political person that he was, was slandering or the uh, celebrity or the business person. And that was all the humor. It was very hard to listen to. And after a while it was, you kind of, yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
You know, it was more painful than it was humorous, but you laughed because it hurt. Um, that's qi frivolous speech. Also a sense of speech that, like dirty jokes, that where you go, you, they, you raise an eyebrow and you sneer. It's like, hmm, that kind of humor that, that you, it sounds off color. It, it brings your mind, gives your mind images of things that scatter you, that move you towards dissolute behavior. This is, this is the, another description of qi So lying, double-tongued speech, harsh speech, and frivolous speech. That last one, prattle or off-color speech, speech that that brings the mind to a state of scattering into images that lead away from purity and stillness. All right. So, truth-telling, refusal to gossip, loving speech that is not harsh, and proper speech that is measured and weighty. After all, when you wake up, traditionally in the Buddhist tradition, often it's because of the words spoken by your Kalyanamitra, by your good advisor, that click open the lock of your wisdom into awakening. Often it's because of spoken words. How powerful is the gift of speech, right? So the Buddha would say, as killing, stealing, and lust are the ten evil deeds of the body, lying, double-tongued speech, harsh speech, and frivolous speech are the evil deeds done by the mouth. So now, how many do we have? We got six, right? Seven. The last three are evil deeds done by the mind. The Buddha said, if you want to be born in the heaven of the 33, the triastrimsha heaven, the bodhisattva there can speak dharma so that you stay in the wholesome paths of the mind, which are, again, reversing evil, greed, anger, delusion, or sometimes translated as wrong views. When you turn them over, the good deed is no greed, no anger, and proper views. So, Body, mouth, and mind. Three with the body, four with the mouth, three with the mind. Ten wholesome paths. Ten paths, ten good paths. Master Hua would say, how do you get to be a god? Here's what you do. Hold the five precepts, and with body, mouth, and mind, follow the ten good deeds. The blessings that result from that, the stillness that result from that, give you the, uh, the causes, plant the seeds that can result in being born as a god. Jason. Utilize frivolous? Frivolous. So what can I do um, What can okay, so Jason's question. He's got a co-worker who speaks frivolously, according to my description. Dirty jokes? Yeah, or just... Talks too much. And so your question is, what can you do compassionately to... Either um, be more controlled by mind or somehow stay powerless? Got it. Okay. 
So what can, Jason's question, what can I do to um, control my mind, Said he said, or to get him to talk less? Okay, I, I ask you to say it again because the question is, is really significant. You, you gave two significant, two important choices. One is an internal choice, the other is the external choice. You said, what can I do to control my mind or to get him to talk less? And choice B, getting him to talk less, is a dangerous road, right? Um, have you talked to anybody else in the office about it? Feel that way too. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. So, um, really hard to say um, because there are many, many, many conditions that would lead somebody to talk a lot. You, you know, if you looked into it, you might discover that the is it a male or a female? Female. Maybe she grew up with a lot of sisters, and the only way to get noticed was to talk faster and louder than her other sisters, possibly. That she, to get attention, you, you know, that was the only way. She might have grown up, uh, maybe her mom, her, her model of, of adult, her adult role model did that too, maybe. Maybe um, she uh, is motivated by a sense of, of her value comes from her mind, and so she wants you to know what she's thinking a lot. You know, chances are that person attaches value to to a lot of words. Maybe she's just not listening. Maybe she doesn't know that she's talking a lot or or too much, so that she's irritating you. So because without you know, lengthy analysis of her motives and why she's doing that. And then this is already an adult, right? So to, to get her to change behavior is going to be hard. So I would suggest not trying necessarily to, to change her. You know, I mean, you can go complain to HR if you want, you know, human resources and see if they can move her to another office or something like that. Or you move to another office, you know. Um, what do they say? This is, this is, it's a fascinating question because what you're experiencing is cool, right? Is discomfort. It's, is, it's not so happy to be around her. The, uh, one of the eightfold sufferings, the eightfold kinds of suffering is yuan zong hui ku, right? If you leave because this person is creating an unwholesome environment or an unbearable environment and you pull up roots and you go from Vallejo and settle in you know, San Jose, go back to San Jose, and you meet your new dental hygienist assistant, and she goes, hi, Jason, Dr. Dr. Kong, nice to meet you. It's a pleasure. I'm so happy you're here. It's been, you know, I've been waiting to meet you. Same kind of habit, you know, and, and that, that happens a lot. So this is like one thing you can do. I would choose choice A, which is find a way to live with it. You know, not that you numb yourself to it, but understand that people's behavior has deep roots. And what you're seeing is probably the tip of the iceberg. And it may be that she has learned that that's the way adults do it in her family. You know? And there's, there are reasons why she does that. And 
That doesn't make it any less uh, easy to bear. But if you see the whole person behind the irritating habit and put it in context, then, then your compassion gets engaged. And it's not so much that, geez, I wish you'd stop that. It's, oh, man, Shirley's suffering. You know, that's, it's not easy being Shirley or whoever her name is. And then it's a, th- it's a 3D picture instead of just irritating behavior, which is pretty superficial, you know. And that's, that's clear seeing, you know. So if you can go past the behavior into the person behind it and understand how such a thing could be, you know, then you've got a better chance of bit by bit merging it into the office environment and it becomes just like traffic or mosquitoes. Or you could say, you know, she's speaking French and I don't understand French, so I can just tune it out. You know, that's if you can find, expand the measure of your heart to include it as part of your current environment, then you don't have to get out there and engineer a change which is fraught with trouble. So, you know, that's, I think that's, to really see her as a person who's got a habit is going to go deeper. And then she's, it's just part of the sounds of the office. So, and then move. If you can't stand it. <laughs> so, good luck. Yeah, hard. Do you want to come back? Does that make sense or not? That makes sense. Okay. It's not, it's not, it's, it's definitely tolerable. Yeah. Yeah, it's tolerable. Could be worse. Yeah. Yeah. Could be your boss. <laughs> Big trouble. <laughs> so, last line. Those are the ten wholesome paths. Yi xiang, zhuan qiu, fo gong de. Yixiang, that's not so hard to translate. It's really simple. All along, seeking the Buddha's virtue. Yixiang, one direction, Juan, concentrating, seeking Buddhas. That, that fifth character is Buddha, merit, virtue. So, from start to finish, all along, seeking the Buddha's virtue. Put it all together. The bodhisattva who stays here as a king, the bodhisattva on this third ground, by and large, for the most part, becomes a king of the triastremsha heaven. He, she, teaches immeasurable quantities of deva multitudes so that they can let go of their thoughts of greed and rest in the wholesome paths plural, paths, all along, from start to finish, seeking the Buddha's virtue. Okay? So here's a description of the third stage bodhisattva. Any last question? Yes. Um, so what's the difference between the search for the Buddha's virtue and search for virtue? If we move the ball... Mm-hmm. Okay, 
That's not, you ask a question different than the one I thought you were asking. Um, so if you were to move the Buddha character, where would you, how would you write the last sentence? You said move the Buddha. Just remove it, right? Take it out. Okay, okay. Okay, that's a good question. Okay, um, let me say also, singly intent is a crummy translation. Um, I don't think singly is an English word, to tell you the truth. I would say focused upon or um, exclusively seeking. Yixiang. Yixiang doesn't mean singly. It means all along. It's, it's, a, it's a linear from start to finish is what it means. So, Iwan's question, what's the difference between Buddha's virtues and regular virtues? Um, the short answer is that if you cultivate and nurture in your own character the totality of the virtues of your nature, it becomes the Buddha's virtues. Okay, why? The Buddha is known as one, the obey, right? Replete with all the virtues. And the notion behind this, so this is, that's the short answer. The longer answer is a Buddha is you as good as you can possibly be. When our nature, this, this awakened nature, is completely brought to light, and that's a specific idea that you pull off, you scrape off, you polish off, you burnish your nature. When the ignorance is gone, when the dark covering over our nature is gone, what's left is this light, they say. And that's virtue. Master Hua would say, what is virtue? Virtue is a light, he would say, punya. It's a light. And the Buddha is described as being full of light so bright that that nature shines like a thousand suns. And it's kind of, they say it's kind of hard to be in the same room with the Buddha because he's so bright, you know, he's just radiant, radiant. And often Buddhas will manifest as bodhisattvas, according to the Mahayana, in order to cover that light into something that people can be with because it's the Buddha's, when you see the Buddha's light, you just bow. You want to praise it, make offerings to it, and, and bow because it's so bright. That's your nature, completely shining. Okay, so Iwan, when you're, all of the virtues are uncovered, you shine with the Buddha's light. And it's a function of virtue. Okay, so the Buddha is said to be somebody who is replete with all the virtues. Now for us, your question, what is ordinary virtue? Well, are you filial to your mom? Do you slow down for your mom? If so, that's the virtue of filial regard, repaying parents' kindness. Are you tuned in to your siblings? Do you take time to listen to your little sister? Do you, in turn, uh, listen to your older brother? Right? Um, if so, you have the virtue of fraternal regard. So the Chinese... Uh, educational system had a series of eight. Bada, the eightfold virtues. And one by one by one, so, xiao ti zhong xin li yi lian chi, right? 
And if you think of them in a family matrix, first is filiality. That's virtual. That's vertical. Parents and children. So to address that is the road to that, that virtue. Is that the Buddha's virtue? Finally, it becomes the Buddha's virtue. You don't get to be a Buddha without it, but no, it's not. It's an ordinary virtue. Why? Because everybody's got parents. It's a mundane, worldly virtue that when you do that one and all the rest, it becomes the Buddha's virtue. Okay? T, fraternity, horizontal, sideways, brothers and sisters. So parents, brothers and sisters. Somebody who's got those two virtues is not alienated. You're stitched into a fabric of humanity. And how interesting, what is happening to us with virtual friends? Is it the same? How many Facebook friends does it take before you embody the virtue of T, that horizontal fraternity? I'm going to suggest it ain't the same. Maybe never, maybe none. There's never enough Facebook friends to actually activate that fundamental virtue. I think not the same. But I know people, not all young people, who would prefer to download and upload than talk to their own siblings. Moms and grandmoms come to me and say, oh, they're fighting, they're fighting over the computer time. You know, they won't talk to each other, and they used to be loving sisters. What's going on? So, that's a question. All right. So, xiao ti zhong xin. Zhong is the virtue of taking that matrix, vertical and horizontal, and moving it into the community. Zhong, translated as loyalty, nah, bad translation. It's more like connection to a larger sphere, to a larger social sphere. Zhong, zhong yu guo jia. Loyalty or country, patriotic? Eh. No, it's connection to the next step away from the family you were born into. So neighborhood connection is zhong. That's a virtue, to be a good citizen, all right? To be, to be alive in your neighborhood is a virtue. What is it? Your nature's expanding. You see the connection between you and the person in the car in the next lane, the person in front of you at the grocery store. You're connected. You're not apart, right? So, xin, integrity, trustworthiness. Xiao ti zhong xin. Those are the first four. So, vertical, horizontal, neighborhood, and then the next virtue is, are you as good as your word? So, it's verbal. Are you trustworthy? So, xin usually is translated as faith. Well, are you faithful? Are you worthy of being believed? Big one, right? That's a virtue. Can you be trusted? If so, that's a mundane, I'm, I'm preaching. Iwan, you shouldn't have asked that question. Are you, are you still listening? I'm still answering your question. <laughs> I tuned you out long ago, man. Okay, I got my answer five minutes ago. Stop talking already. Uh, so you started me on the Eightfold Virtues. So these are really important, and they're not random. When people talk about, we don't say virtue in education anymore, we say values. Well, values, virtues, mm, it's the same human nature. If the Confucian educational project could be 
dusted off and integrated to the 21st century, it's clear seeing of human nature. People haven't changed in 2,000 years, probably 10,000 years. Our natures are the same. And when these virtues get polished off till they shine, the Buddha is right there. There's no other Buddha beyond these, these virtues. So, Xiao Ti Zhong Xin, Li Yi Lian This is where it gets really interesting. And you can go from individual to social. Very much. These are guidelines for human interaction. Li Yi in Chinese, in the Chinese world, Li is super important. It's hard to translate. Translated sometimes as courtesy. Mm. Emily Post, no, it's not courtesy. Where you put the dessert fork, nah. You know, which, which spoon is at the right side of the plate? You put the spoon on the left, no, the spoon's on the right. That's not it. It's way beyond that. It's how you behave in a social sphere with all kinds of people. If somebody, if your grandpa comes in the room, do you treat him like you treat a baby? No, you'd use different language with grandpa. If, a, if your teacher comes in the room, how low do you bow? Well, you say, I don't bow to no teacher. I hire my teacher. If I don't like what he teaches me, I fire him. I cut, the, I don't go, yeah. right? No, teachers are to be revered. You know, you know, you say, oh, very good. This class knows something. They know to lower their head to their teacher because knowledge is coming. How valuable is knowledge? Try without it. How far do you get without knowledge? Right? So, Li involves relationship with teachers, relationship with mayors, with councilmen, with police, with the, the you know, public security. How do you deal with these people? That's all in Li. So it's, some, somebody translated it as, um, uh, as uh, uh, my professor at Cal, Professor Schaefer, translated it as elite usages, which I think missed the point too. Lee is like rules of conduct, social, you know, how to behave in society. That's it. And what do you say about somebody? This person does not understand how to behave. When somebody's rude, when somebody uses harsh speech, double tongue speech, profanity, Lying, frivolous speech, but only mal doesn't know how to behave. Their their words can't be count trusted. All right. So, li yi, incredibly powerful virtue number six yi, which can be translated as righteousness. Hmm, it's way more than righteousness. The um, this in in Chinese civilization, this word has a huge resonance. It's the the word that rules all martial arts movies. Right? It's the word that launched a thousand fights in martial arts films, right? So because of E, you have to go get revenge because somebody killed your dad, right? And so, or your brother, or your sworn blood brother, or somebody dissed your mama. You know, your mama. Oh, here comes Yi Chi. Here comes righteous, and you got to go out and punch back because the the rules of righteousness were violated. Oh boy! So, by and large, uh, this is not 
so much present in Western culture until you look at cowboy movies. You can find the code of the West, right? The lawman came with a gun. There was a job to be done. And so he'd live by the code of the law of the lawman, right? I grew up watching uh, Gunsmoke, right? Paladin, Ali, Ali, this is, I was raised learning how to shoot down bad guys because I wore the white hat and they deserved it, right? How could you tell? They wore the black hat. It was clear. <laughs> Blam. Shoot him dead. Wrong hat. Sorry, you know. That's I Chi at its yin, negative side. The, the positive side of I Chi is you know when it's right to do something. I'm almost tempted to translate it as conscientious. Conscience is a sense of I Chi. Conscience is rooted in the nature. question would be, is I the, the chi that I'm using with this word, it means the chi of, of breath, right? But it means the, uh, the same chi of qigong, the same one, energy or breath. So the Chinese word is i chi. Is righteousness connected to conscience? I, I tend to think so, because why? You know it's right without thought. You don't have to think about it. You know it's right to do certain things. So there's, I'm sure there's a higher expression. And... Um, when you look into Chinese society, it was organized around these 13 classics. The Li Ji, the Book of Li, the Yi. Yi uh, e. e is not so much in the classics, but specifically, there isn't a, a classic devoted to it. But you get the idea. Why am I going on at great length? It's to say that Yi Huan's question gave me a chance to talk about these virtues, which are fundamental to understanding who the Buddha is. How do you get to be a Buddha? Become the best possible person. How do you become the best possible person? Work on your relationships. Parents, siblings, neighborhood, integrity, a larger social sphere, righteousness, each of the seat, the e, lian, this is very interesting. Lian is talking about the, as they get down towards the eight, they're more subtle. Lian is they translated sometimes as incorruptibility, never taking a bribe, never valuing profit over principle. That's Lian. Uh, public servants who embody that virtue cannot be bribed. If um, in Taiwan, uh, we, we know a, a minister who served in one of the uh, yuan, one of the, the houses of Taiwanese government for a decade or so, and nobody had bad words about him. He was said to have, his sleeves were pure. Ching Xi was, why? Didn't stuff any gold in his sleeves. Right? He never benefited, never took money. Current, uh, ha- current scandal in China. This is fascinating. I don't know if you all saw this last week. This arose. The Chinese government is going through its personnel change that it does every, what, 10 years. And the, the vice premier, much beloved, 
was accused by research published in the New York Times of having made his family very rich as a result of his high position. In other words, corrupt. And the Chinese responded by shutting down the New York Times in China. They didn't deal with the accusations. They shut it down. You couldn't get the New York Times. I don't know if they turned it back on now, a week later. But some reporter did what journalists were saying was brilliant reporting, saying that Vice Premier Wen, who's much beloved, uh, made even his 90-year-old grandmother a billionaire, said the research. Now, true or false, it's one of those investigative stories. So the Chinese were very upset by that. That's an absence of Lian, if it's true. Don't know it's true, just passing on the information. You can look up New York Times. I won't even tell you who it was because the Chinese might ban this webcast in China if I <laughs> mention his name. I don't want that to happen. So, so um, the last one is Chi, which is fascinating. It's called a sense of shame is the last virtue. The ability to know, uh, the ability to look at one's own behavior and say, that was wrong, I feel bad about that, I need to change it. Xiao Ti Zhong Xin Li Yi Lian Shi, Eightfold Virtues, which are a step-by-step, pragmatic, real-time, sandals on the pavement, rubber hits the road, description of how you go from ordinary virtue to bring your nature to light to embody the Buddha's virtue. How nice. Right? Clear. Clear. There you go, Iwan. Thanks for the question. Dharma Master, I forgot my question. It was, you've been talking. So, okay. Yes. <laughs> Fearless. Unafraid that I'm going to go till 10 o'clock. Okay, go ahead. Mm-hmm. So this brings me back to other Mondays, our Tangshan translation question, or the Celestial King and the Bodhisattva. Okay. Is that the question? Um, Go ahead, Nisho. Because the, the question was the, the, the Tatma, the, the, the hairdress or the fresh Tatma. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what, what YC is talking about is we, uh, we're translating another piece of the Avatamska Sutra on, uh, every week. We're doing it on Mondays. And purely by coincidence, how interesting. The, uh, I'm going to sneeze in just a second here. Excuse me. Don't sneeze into the microphone. <coughs> Excuse me. The, the section that we just encountered 
on Monday morning was a description of the gods from this heaven who showed up to praise the Buddha at the very first um, speaking of the Avatamsaka Dharma. And the question came up as we were talking about him because one of the one of the gods, there's ten of them listed. One of the gods had a headdress, a Ushnisha, the Roji in, in Chinese. And the question was, it's a, only a god, is it just a he- headpiece or is it the Buddha's 32 hallmarks, which are the seat of the Buddha's wisdom? And the commentators, you have to, questions like that, because who knows? I don't know. You have to depend upon commentators. So we looked at Master Xuanhua's commentary, we looked at the commentary from the Tang Dynasty, Master Chengguan, and they didn't say. There was no specific. Is it just a deva? Is it a bodhisattva? Here it says, these bodhisattvas, we know they're third stage bodhisattvas, they show up as gods of the tri-stream Shehevan. That would be one more piece of evidence to suggest that maybe the gods who showed up in the earlier chapter that we're now translating are actually bodhisattvas, appearing as gods of the 33. So um, I still don't know, and I'm not convinced that each one is. My ultimate answer is, could be. In the end, there's no proof. Uh, it's interesting to think about. Now, tonight, yeah. Um, well, okay. Yeah, I think so. So, tonight, and, and YC in her question mentioned that the second stage bodhisattva came from the, the lower heaven which is the heaven of the four kings, the, the wheel-turning kings, Chakravartans. And so as we go, this, as I say, this is boilerplate. Okay. It's the pattern. Yeah, it's the second one, Bodhisattva, they uh, act as the wheel-turning king. That's the Sudatyanam. Right, so it's sequential. The third, the fourth stage will be Suyama heaven gods, and the fifth will be Tushita heaven gods. So. So tonight, as we as I began, I had a lot of choices to to um, talk about this stanza because why the amount of information uh, on the triastrimsha gods, the Dalitian, is is immense. How interesting that coming as I did from a, a Protestant. Methodist, Protestant, Christian background, we all knew about God on high, Lord, Lord God, but actually not a lot. What we did know about him from the Hebrew scriptures was not very complimentary. I am a jealous God. I am an angry God. There are stories in the, uh, in the Pentateuch, in the Torah, about God wiping out every man woman and child and animal in 60 villages in a valley appearing as a whirlwind and encouraging, leading his chosen people to go in and slaughter total, utter genocide of these villages. And you go, gee, that's a bloodthirsty god there. (laughs) That's a pretty savage deity. Not complimentary, you know, not gentle, not compassionate. So, all right. What's the connection? The God who 
lives in the heaven of the 33. Triastrimsha, our, our word here, means 33 gods. The heaven of the 33 gods. This is the second of six heavens in the, in the desire realm. This god's name is Chakra Devanam Indra. This is Saka in Pali. Chakra Devanam Indra. And she was a woman before she became a god, according to the, the tradition of the Tiantai teachings. How did these gods come about? She was a woman who, in her village, noticed that a, a, a temple had fallen apart, had run down. The roof was leaking. The Buddha images inside were getting rained on and were dripping golden leaf down, you know, not, it's going to make you unhappy. So what did she do? She went out in the village, found 32 other village matrons, women, matriarchs, elders, got them all together, raised the money, probably through bake sales, probably through taking in laundry or doing whatever, you know, house, whatever the women could do to earn money, put the money together, repaired the Buddha image, regilded it, patched the temple roof, and made it all beautiful and adorned. The merit of that behavior caused her the blessings to be reborn as a god in her next life, in the future. 32 of them, with one in the middle as the, the chief of them, the facilitator of this renewal, this uh, temple renewal project, right? Um, she was the, the chief of the other 32. 33 gods, the heaven of the 33. That's how they came about, says the story in the Tiantai teaching. How interesting, all right? So a socially engaged woman uh, interested in, with a public spirit in monastery improvement projects, right? The result, the reward is being born out of the human realm into the, into the Deva's realm. That's interesting, right? So what I wanted to tell you was growing up as a Christian, I didn't know much about God. We learned to praise him, him. We had a sense of him wearing a beard, sitting on a throne, pissed off a lot, you know, watch out. Didn't like Baal at all, you know, wanted to get rid of the other gods. Thou shalt have no other, you know. And not, I don't mean to present it snarky. I mean, it's, there wasn't a lot of positive information. There was a sense of distance, separation. God was creator. I was creature. That was it, you know. And you, you wait for God's grace. There's lots of presence of God, but nothing specific. And it's a sense of distance and awe. You can praise him, but you can never be God. That's not going to happen. When you get to the Avatamsaka Sutra, the specifics about the God of the heaven of the 33, Chakra Devanam Indra, are utterly astounding. The amount of information you get about this God and further how you can become him, which is so appealing, so democratic, and so like grassroots inspiring. The idea that should you choose to, and the Buddha would say, not a good idea, because he's still mortal. In the end, that God's blessings run out and they fall. But 
here's how these gods live. There's a chapter called the Shen Shouping, the worthy leader chapter, that has page after page about how Indra lives. Fierce warrior, able to defeat Asuras, which are the absolutely nastiest fighters in all of the, the ten Dharma realms. Chakra is a, can use psychic abilities to fight back. Um, what does Chakra do? He beats the Dharma drum to tell all the gods to come to the palace called the Wholesome Views Palace, in front of which is what? Indra's net. What is Indra's net? Indra's net is a decoration in front of this god's palace. It's a net with a pearl in each web, in each interstice, where the, each knot has this beautiful pearl through which the entirety of the, this beautiful adornment can be seen in each pearl. And furthermore, the perfection of each pearl is reflected in every pearl. The entirety it just inter-reflects. The many become the one, and the one reflects the many. So you can see the whole thing in each one, and as you go out, they're all repetitions of the one. So that's there. What does Chakra do? He beats the Dharma drum, he gets all the devas to come to the palace, and he speaks Dharma for them. What does he say? He says, get rid of your thoughts of greed and uphold the ten good deeds. I will bestow my blessings on you without end. Your life as a god will continue and continue. Meanwhile, the Buddha speaking Dharma in the next heaven above. Let's all go listen to the Buddha, says Chakra. So he encourages those devas towards goodness. Because why? If they don't, their blessings will run out and they'll come back down and become Republicans. A fate I would not wish upon all those people who are going to vote that way. Never mind. So how did Bill Gates get to be Bill Gates? Probably was a god whose blessings ran out but still had lots of, lots of wherewithal that... Recently, he is giving away as fast as he can. How do you become a god? Do what Bill Gates is doing now. Not that I know Bill Gates, but how did he get to be the world's richest man for a period of time, having been a Harvard undergrad who, you know, had a genius for marketing his inferior software (laughs) windows? Um, he probably had residual blessings. I don't see that, but I have a hunch. Look at what he's doing now. He's encouraging everybody else to give money, just like who? Just like the woman who became the Triastrimsha god, Chakra Devanamindra. Bill Gates is going around the world and telling rich people to give their money away. Good for him. I once, you know, we used to, even as I have been doing this for 17 years, there was a period when we used to like point at Bill Gates as being, you know, a a bad example because he was, you know, using marketing to sell software. We don't do that now. And when did I change? I did that once at at some Dharma talk somewhere. And there was this African-American woman who, at the end of my talk, came up to me and she said, excuse me, sir. She said, I don't want to hear you talking no trash about Bill Gates. My grandson is going to school as a result of the Gates Foundation grant. 
And I think you should be very careful about who you slander from your privileged seat up there. <laughs> blink, 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 you know. And I said, thank you, I appreciate that. I'm going to check it out. Sure enough, Bill and Melinda, he and his wife, retired and started to give their money away. And they are creating in the, the, the blessings of the gods by what they're doing, by that kind of generosity on a huge global scale, wiping out diseases, creating educational opportunities, more power to the people who are planting the seeds of being reborn in the heavens. If anybody is repeating the, the behavior of this apocryphal, legendary woman who was reborn as, as, a, as a deva, it's Bill Gates and his wife. So, for what that's worth. All right. The time has come for us to close this session of our Avatamsaka Sutra lecture. But think about that. Stopping, uh, when they stay here, for the most part, they are the Triastremsha heaven gods who teach countless numbers of devas to get rid of their thoughts of greed and to do, the good, do good deeds. And from start to finish, seek the Buddha's merit. Don't stop with the eightfold virtues. Cultivate all of those virtues. Avoid greed, anger, and delusion. What is delusion? We didn't talk about it. Mostly disbelieving in cause and effect. That's called wrong view. So if we can see cause and effect and master its working in our lives, we are on the path towards that good deed that leads to rebirth in the heaven. How fascinating that you can become a god and then fall out of the heavens when your blessings run out. Right? How interesting. So... We started out by talking about how this is a handbook of uh, behavior that, that bodhisattvas do. And it shows us their thoughts, their motivations, their speech, and their behavior. And if anything, this is a manual. It's a how-to. It's a doc file. You could call it a spiritual classic, but it's a set of instructions. What I like best is it begins with the heart. It's not cold. It's not exclusive. It's not the possession of some priest class somewhere. And anybody, regardless of the robe they're wearing or the precepts they hold, anybody who does what the sutra says can walk in the path of the bodhisattva and make it worth getting out of bed in the morning. All right. Can we transfer the merit now? And that is, if you have your, uh, your songbook in front of you, it's on the back. If you have your chanting sheet uh, that we used to request Dharma, it's also on that chanting sheet. And Dedication of Merit works as... It's a directed wish for goodness that you shape the way you would like to and mind you we're on Wednesday going to be deciding a lot of issues in a very public way nationally it's election day and you might dedicate some of those some of that merit that comes from joining with good spiritual friends tonight you might dedicate it to to whatever 
wholesome outcome you would like to see or perhaps to a rapid recovery from the folks who were hit so hard by Hurricane Sandy and I saw an image today of a Katrina survivor uh, somebody from New Orleans who had a sign uh, a message for all those folks 127 miles of the Jersey coast were hit and washed away. Um, this Katrina survivor had a sign that said, said, yeah, he said, been through it. Understand it, what you're going through. Just take it a day at a time. You just keep on going. That was his advice. So anybody who grew up on the Jersey coast and remembers the boardwalks and the roller coasters, it's gone. You get to redo it. And you wonder, if you understand the patterns of global warming, are they going to rebuild it all and see it get hit again? I think this is going to be the, the rule instead of the exception from now on. So, whole new understanding. All right, so we have a lot to dedicate merit to. Please, please do so.